But I do, I do want to stick to the institution of media. Let's do it. We, people on the internet, people my generation say, we don't trust the institutions. We shouldn't trust the institutions. Well, I want to flip that. Do they trust us? And I think that's the bigger problem. We're not supposed to trust the institutions. If you trust government, man, if you're relying on government to save you, look around. It's not coming from anybody. But do the institutions trust us? And how can we get them to trust us? Because news media, media organizations, yes, it is beneficial for them financially to not tell us the truth and to stir anger and hate and all this stuff. But their higher-ups and people who feed them information, they don't trust us with the truth at all. So I think that's the bigger problem that kind of goes unannounced, non- unaddressed. What do you think? There's a really interesting book that was written um, back when I was just finishing up with grad school at Berkeley. A guy at the same kind of age as me was in was grad, getting his PhD in the geography department. And um, we all were in awe because, first of all, he was this brilliant guy. He was a great writer. He was also an artist. And his... Um, PhD dissertation, he sold it to Penguin Random House as like a real book before he was even done with his degree. Uh, the book is called Blank Spots on a Map. And it asks the question, what can we know about secret government programs from the outside without breaking any laws by understanding that even secret government programs occupy the same world we do so they follow the same laws of physics which means they they you know exist in space they reflect light things of that nature so the book at one level is a story about him piecing together what he can about secret pilot uh plane you know test plane programs um you know groom lake and tonopa test range and things of that nature area 51 all the way through to keystone spy satellites and secret government programs in the budget and things. It's just really cool. It's just an interesting read. But his basic question is, how much secrecy should a democracy tolerate, right? Mm-hmm. Do the people need to know everything? No. Or should, or, 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 you know, because at some level we've accepted the claim that, listen, there's some things you can't know about, you shouldn't know about, Right. Right. And I think he's asking a super interesting question. And as somebody who spent, you know, almost a decade of my life bouncing around dangerous, faraway places in and out of war zones and things of that nature, you know, where both our military and the others were engaged in, you know, sometimes nefarious activities and things, you know, I, I, I think that's an interesting question to ask. How much are we collectively as human beings willing to tolerate secrecy as a way of organizing, as an organizing principle of government. I don't have a very good answer to this. And Trevor, who wrote that book, knows a lot more and has gone a lot deeper into that question. But I think, Will, you touch on the core issue. I Actually, really before do. We, before you nailed it. Let me, let, me, let me take a stab at that. Yeah. In terms of secrecy. So you, you gave speeches at the UN, right? The UN- Well, is, I wrote it. I didn't, I didn't like, end sorry, up sorry, delivering it. The person who was appropriate to- to, to do the speaking, did the speaking. Okay, so you, you yeah. wrote a speech for the UN. So yeah. it's like international law, right? There is international law that exists. It's just impossible to enforce. So in terms of secrets, as long as you are in the bounds of those international laws and you don't break those laws, you can keep your secrets. I don't need to, we don't need government, like nuclear codes, where they're held, certain things with the military, um, whatever, can be kept. But like lunch orders are top secret nowadays, whatever. But if they're breaking the law, it can be kept top secret, but it's also should be known, and there should be no punishment for if that's known. So you can secrecy should be within the bounds of international law, and when it comes to like 
war overseas. Okay, now let me just, I think you're, you're on your way to make an interesting point, but I want to throw a little wrinkle in. Please. So international law, as it is currently uh, defined and enforced, is about the relationship between nation states. And it's a product of originally the League of Nations and then mm-hmm. the United the Nations compacts and so on, in which the signatories to these compacts are, in fact, governments. So here's where the real thing gets muddy, because international humanitarian law, which is about the rights between, you know, between states, the relationship between states, maintains this principle of sovereignty at its heart, which is to say that the legitimate state government, and you know, here they mean national government, right, um, has the uh, right to act with impunity within its own territory. So now what do you do when, as in Sudan, where I spent a long period of time, the government itself and I mean, Sudan today is, you know, <laughs> a perfect example of where this stuff breaks down. But I'm talking about 20 years ago. The government is funding paramilitary groups that are slaughtering civilians. So international law in that regard, sure, human rights law can kick in. But then we have, you know, the, the pragmatic reality of the Human Rights Council and the U.N. Security Council, where you've got U.S., Britain, France, China and Russia. And only one time... In the history of the Security Council, were they unanimous on something, which was the case of Iraq in 1990, which is entangled with my own story in a way. We won't get to it right this second. But that's the only time they ever agreed on something. They imposed sanctions on Iraq. So what do you do when governments are flaunting generally acceptable principles of how you should treat civilians, right? Like nobody thinks it's a good idea to be slaughtering women and children, right? However, this happens all the time, and it happens with impunity because it's happening inside the borders of a sovereign state. So there has been a movement for a good 20 years now called Responsibility to Protect, which is basically trying to, to rework some of the underlying principles and say, well, what if, what, if, what if we could agree something that would keep that from happening? But that's that's sort of stuck. So your your premise is not wrong. It's just the containers to which yeah. it's applied are, are nation states. Well, let, let me take a stab at that too then. Which brings a problem. Yeah, let me take a stab at that too. So, All right. example. Um, Obama, Trump, and to some extent Bush killed pl- countless of innocent people in Iraq, Afghanistan through drone strikes. Well, this started, this started earlier. So don't earlier. leave Clinton out. Don't leave Clinton out. Why every, this is important. Why this is important is everybody blames Bush for this uh, doctrine of regime change right. in Iraq. That was a Clinton administration doctrine. Madeleine Albright was the first one to ever use the phrase in a speech, and then Clinton made it the official policy of the Clinton administration in October of let's, 1998 and started bombing say, Iraq in December every, 98. Let's, let's even go back further to Vietnam, right? All okay. the presidents since Eisenhower, right? So they broke international law. Now, should another state, another government, another country— dictate over us no you can't do that and you can't impose your will but what well, that's you have the definition to do- of, so- of sovereignty. sovereignty and i think we have to ask ourselves whether we're willing to accept the price tag of that concept but the information needs to be released to the american public because it is being done in our name with our money taxpayer money so that information needs to be made public through a media so we can vote them out or convict them on our own you can't rely – when it comes to international law, there is no power above them. They're technically, at least theoretically, all equal. Like who, are, who are we 
to go into another country and be like, hey, you're breaking international law. We're going to punish you. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You can't do that. The citizens of that democracy, whatever nation state you have, need to be the one punishing the politicians and the military people because it's done in their name with sometimes their money, specifically in the U.S. So that yeah. is how it needs to be done, at least properly. Because theoretically, who, you're 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 not yeah, wrong. in a perfect it, world. That's how I would. But there's do a couple it. other things. So, like for example, if we were talking about societies with full blown execution of democratic practices, then maybe a, right. a free press. You know, again, all these things they line up really nicely on paper. Yeah. Where you know a really free press is essential as a way of educating people in a in, in a political system where their vote can make a difference and change things like all that at, at the level of sort of theory and ideology is it's, it's great right uh, it, it's a little bit like saying well I think democracy is a good idea if it were to actually exist Correct. you know even so going back to something you said a minute ago I don't want to leave off what you just said but I want to bring in something you said a little bit ago. You know, do they trust us? Well, the answer is clearly no, because here would be the simple test. If you trusted the citizens to make decisions, then voting would be the easiest and most automatic thing on earth, right? You would be able to vote anywhere at any time, just as you can file your taxes Mm -hmm. anywhere, anytime, online, whatever. The government has no problem knowing who I am in order to accept my income tax payments for myself and my, my S corp. Right. And right. I can do that all online. Like I don't have to see anybody. There's no, they aren't checking my ID. I mean, they are, but in an, in an electronic way, right. If we really cared about democracy, we would make it easy for every qualified adult person to vote. Right. And I know there would be some debate about qualified, but we would have that debate and then it would be done. It would voter registration would be automatic. Yep. Election day would be a national holiday. Yep. Whatever, whatever, whatever. I don't yeah. know. You know. So, yeah. And you look at the amount of effort put into making that hard, rigging the rules, changing the district. Like at every possible level, it's clear. Not allowing to there's a threat. For more political candidates. There's a threat. Yeah. So, and I don't care. Again, listeners, I don't care which party you vote for. This is not my point. This it's not good for any of them. Right. This is, nobody, you know, the corporate Democrats are just as bad as everybody else. This is not good. So we, the people at some fundamental level ought to be going, hey, 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 like, how is this OK? But again, this comes back to who has the time uh, and, and the wherewithal, the, the actual economic means to get engaged in these issues. Right? right. Well, not a lot of folks. 